640 Toronto presents Think Tank. Two guests, Toronto's top stories. Now, let's meet the guests. Let's do just that. 7.35 on Toronto today on a Friday morning, first day of December, and it's six degrees. We may get some uh, some late morning snow, depending on where you are, not in Toronto proper, but just outside. It's always got that potential. Let's welcome in Ben Mulrooney, broadcaster and uh, host of uh, the weekend show right here, Toronto Today. He'll be in for me as well on Toronto Today next week. Am I the first to break that uh, exciting news to the listening audience, Ben? I think you are, Gregory. I, I think you are. Thank you for having me on. As long as I'm not breaking it to you, and as long as it's not being broken to you around 10 p.m. Tuesday night. Hey, you're in in the morning. <laughs> now, may I, may I ask why I'm going to be filling in for just, you? Just uh, pure mental and physical fatigue, uh, Ben. Nothing uh, more serious. Than... <laughs> well, a well-deserved break for you, sir. I'll keep the chair warm. We'll see if that's the case. Roy Green is our friend, and he hosts the Roy Green Show uh, nationally on the Chorus Radio Network between 2 and 5 o'clock. Uh, tomorrow and on Sunday as well. And it's always great to have you. You know how uh, revered you are in our world. Thank you very much for giving us time this morning. Uh, Greg, thank you very much. I'm just curious about your mental and physical. (laughs) It's a lovely facility. I get the mental part, but what have you been doing? It's a lovely facility, I'm told. Um, You know, there's everybody wears a white coat. It's going to be great. I uh, I, I'm just really excited uh, to go in and play some checkers, (laughs) some snakes and ladders. (laughs) Roy, you know what the last eight weeks of radio have been like. So does Ben. You can't win Uh, for losing. Let's be fair about this yeah 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 for sure <laughs> well let's start here because we got a lot of good uh, local content we got a lot of good ontario content a lot of good politics all three of us like that but i want to play you guys something anthony blinken said yesterday afternoon it's a bit of a, a bit of a challenge i think to uh the israeli defense forces as fighting has indeed resumed here's the u.s secretary of state we'll hear the clip talk about it on the way back that means taking more effective steps to protect the lives of civilians including by clearly and precisely designating areas and places in southern and central Gaza where they can be safe and out of the line of fire. It means avoiding further significant displacement of civilians inside of Gaza. It means avoiding damage to life-critical infrastructure, like hospitals, like power stations, like water facilities. And it means giving civilians who have been displaced to southern Gaza the choice to return to the north as soon as conditions permit. There must be no enduring internal displacement. All of this can be done in a manner that still enables Israel to achieve its objectives. Of course, we know that every one of these elements is made more complicated by the fact that Hamas intentionally embeds itself with civilians within and below hospitals, schools, apartment buildings, refugee camps. But Israel has the most sophisticated, one of the most sophisticated militaries in the world. It is capable of neutralizing the threat posed by Hamas while minimizing harm to innocent men, women, and children. And it has an obligation to do so. Okay. Israel does have that obligation, Roy. Let's start with you. That's the Secretary of State laying out the idea. You've got to protect civilians differently this time. And the huge numbers of civilian deaths, mass displacement, the U.S. doesn't want to see repeated. What do you make of the comments? Well, no disagreement with what uh, Blinken said, but it's a political statement that he made. It shouldn't be necessary to state that no innocent civilians in Gaza should pay a terrible price for the actions of Hamas, Greg, but uh, Hamas leaders themselves have been indifferent to the plight of Palestinians during interviews they've given, stating their tunnels under Gaza for the, are for the protection of Hamas and not Palestinians generally. 
who the Mosque leadership have insisted are mainly refugees and therefore the concern of the United Nations. Now, I've spoken with Israel's ambassador to Canada on five occasions on my program since, mm-hmm. and including October 7th. And Ambassador Moed has not been indifferent to the plight of Gazan civilians, but he's also pointed to Hamas blocking the escape paths for the Palestinian population and the IDF's inter- determination to eliminate the Hamas leadership at the very least. Look, it was inevitable Israel was going to re-engage Hamas militarily. Mm-hmm. Their objective is to eliminate Hamas for good. It's cast in stone for the Israeli government and its military, the IDF. Ben, how do you view it? Because safe areas, we've seen this before. I remember it during the the wars of Yugoslavia, the idea the safe areas of Bosnia were not so safe. And once you tell Hamas that there needs to be less pressure, less civilians killed, that's food for them. That really is at a certain point in time. Um, And and you're playing into their hands a little bit if you give them a strategy. But that's exactly right. I I don't think anybody can take issue with what, what Anthony Blinken said. However, there seems to be a, a a big missing component to what he's talking about. He's talking about um, uh, Israel's responsibilities in this war, and yet we're not hearing uh, of, of Hamas's feet being put to the fire by uh, those um, you know those parties in the Middle East with whom they probably have communication, with whom they probably rely on mm. for um, for funding. <laughs> Until we know that they are going to be playing by. By the by the by the rules um, that Anthony Blinken wants Israel to play by, then it's 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 not that it's a moot point, it, but it, it's almost like he's 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 talking about a fantasy land to suggest that they have these obligations, uh, and and yet Hamas is going to be free to do whatever Hamas wants to do to 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 prevent um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, the, these refugees from going to these safe zones from preventing them from um, uh, staying in, in safe zones, from preventing um, uh, food and water and gas from getting to where it needs to get to. It's sort of like, well, I, I, I don't know how you can expect Israel to, you can expect Israel to play by the rules, but you can't expect them to get the results that you want. Yeah, That's, I think, what the problem is. There's two things also I saw, Ben, to stay with you, and then I want to hear from Roy on this, and then we'll move on, is the idea, Blinken sort of set out two guidelines. One, let's limit civilian casualties. Okay, fine. But then he almost said, let's do this quicker. And those two things don't mix well. Those two things don't interact well. If you want discriminating bombing instead of indiscriminate bombing, that takes more time. And then we're stretching out to the point where it's the U.S. in Afghanistan. It's the U.S. in Iraq. It's it's a long. You can't give Israel a limit of three or four weeks and say, hey, get your job done then. And after that, we're uh, we're pulling our support and we'll and we'll morally condemn you. That doesn't work. Wars don't work that way, Ben. No, no, they, they, they don't. I, I don't think that you're going to um, you, you can you'll have a, a protracted, long um, land war like like we did it in Afghanistan. This is a smaller plot of land. Israel can completely encircle it, or almost encircle it, uh, and um, and and they and they know that that area a, a lot a lot better. Mm-hmm. But but it's so heavily populated. Um, yeah, again, like you you can ask you can ask Israel to to follow these rules, but unless you have a party on the other side that is operating more or less according to the rules of of engagement, more or less according to the rules of of war, then the results will not follow. They just won't. And to expect that is 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 almost naive. Roy, it's such a problem, isn't it? Major met- metropolitan area fighting in cities is different. I saw 
Sean Penn, and I won't like mock world like military expert Sean Penn, but he's gone to a lot of these war zones. He's gone over to Ukraine, and he made the point that this is so much harder than post 9-11, where you had bin Laden and the Taliban flee into the mountains of Kabul. We're talking, we're not talking a densely populated metropolitan area. We're talking, again, mountains and caves. That's not what Hamas has done here, and there were no hostages after 9-11 as well. It's worth pointing out, right? Yeah, and I agree with everything Ben said. Um, You know, while in many countries the memory of the brutality of murders, including children being burned to death in their own homes, of women being raped and then abducted or murdered, of entire families and communities being wiped out by the Hamas terrorists on October the 7th, while in many countries, uh, and including media reports, these horrific crimes have been glossed over in Israel, October the 7th is the core of its military operation in uh, in in uh, Gaza, look. Let me wrap this up by just mm-hmm. suggesting this, because I don't want to take all of your time. But there is talk in Israel, and reported by the Wall Street Journal, that thousands of lower Hamas members may be offered the chance to relocate to another country, as happened with the PLO in 1982, when 11,000 PLO members, terrorists, voluntarily left their base of operations in Lebanon for Tunisia. But Israel has said, as far as the Hamas leadership mm-hmm. is concerned, they're walking dead men. Let's move to the uh, COP28. It's the United Nations Climate Change Conference. It runs from the 30th of November. It started yesterday all the way through the 12th of December. This takes longer than the Olympics to sit around and talk about. And there's not a lot of events. There's not a lot of athleticism except the walking to and from these uh, $700 uh, U.S. uh, hotel rooms that are highly air conditioned because it's 35 freaking degrees there in the afternoon. I don't. Roy, I'll start with you. Climate matters to us. Of course it does. But people will turn off and shut down when we see government officials exercising hypocrisy about the environment. 800 Canadians, Roy, are in Dubai. I was shocked to hear that number. The mayor of Kitchener is there. We had a texter call in and say the mayor of of, of, (laughs) like a, a public official from the Blue Mountain area is there. What on earth are we doing? This is where you lose people, isn't it? Well, is that where you're going? (laughs) (laughs) A far more secure facility than that as of Wednesday. Far more secure than Dubai, I promise. (laughs) Look, the credibility of Trudeau and Gilbo and the liberal liberal government are uh, really in play here. The international community is not unaware of the massive loss of support for Trudeau and national polling. Let me just bring this home. This is what it's about. They're not unaware of the Supreme Court of Canada and the federal courts declaring the liberals overstepped their constitutional authority with C-69 and the single-use plastic ban. Canadians at home are hurting. 40% are losing sleep over their own economic reality. More than 50% are unsure they'll be able to pay their bills at the end of the month. Unaffordable mortgage renewals are part of daily life and concern. Right now, 6.8 million Canadians, including 1.8 million children, living in food insecure reality. These Canadians are pointing at Justin Trudeau and his climate obsession to the real or perceived exclusion of concern for the average Canadian as being over the top. Plus, the carbon tax carve-out is seen as a political Hail Mary to not crash further in the polls. And let's not forget, Alberta and Saskatchewan are engaging their provincial legislation supporting their constitutional right to control energy development with Premiers Moe and Smith in Dubai at COP28 challenging Gilbo and Trudeau. Look, all of these factors and more are trailing the Liberals and whatever Gilbo and Trudeau put forward COP28 may be about climate. However, considering who's chairing the event and where it's taking place, I wonder about that. All of these factors for the average Canadian make COP28 a political event. We're broke, we're hungry, we're afraid, 
What are you doing about it? That's the message. Ben, you can't stretch people's household budgets. You can't hassle them in their daily lives. We can all strive to do better, and we should. Of course, there are pro-climate measures we should take, and we have over decades. But you absolutely can't push people whose biggest stress is the money in their bank account at the end of the month to do this be better and then have a bunch of those people putting that stress on the public fly to Dubai and stay there for 15 days. In 2015, when Justin Trudeau won, he won because he convinced Canadians that the environment was not a nice-to-have issue, it was a must-have issue. He convinced them that this was a message that he, they could get behind, that that the, the, the plan that he had was going to bring everybody forward, it was going to raise everybody up. That has, at this point, whether or not it was due to him or to external factors, that has proven not to be true. And that must-have issue has turned again into a nice to have issue. And the problem is he he told people in 2015, people voted for him because they believed he was right in 2015. Today, people don't view him as right. They view him as self-righteous. And the problem with the self-righteous, and it doesn't matter what topic they're self-righteous on, the problem with the self-righteous is they believe that the rules that they are trying to foist upon us, the rules that they want us to live by, the rules that say that they say are absolutely essential for us to get to a better place, do not apply to them. It, it is such an important mission that they that they must be held to a different set of standards so they can fly 800 Canadians to COP28 because it is of such vital importance that we all um, lower our carbon footprint that they can all take 800 people can take private planes to Dubai to talk about this issue and they are completely uh, blind to that disconnect. Canadians are not blind to that disconnect. And this is something that will trail them. I don't know that it will haunt them. I don't know how much of a political price they'll pay for it. But this is not free. This will cost them. Hey, Roy, uh, Alex Pearson's got Pierre Polyevra on at 945 this morning. But I'd ask you this. You interview him enough. Is he doing enough to, to tell people that he has his own climate plans? Enough to say axe the taxes. Enough to say, I don't like carbon taxes. But I think people would want to hear from him. It may not change everybody's vote, but it'll change some. Has he said enough about climate and green energy? I don't think he needs to right now, Greg. I think there's I too much political capital that he can take advantage of. He's a politician looking to be elected prime minister of Canada. Climate is uh, is really a, a dangerous territory for politicians. Trudeau's in so much trouble. Polyev is not going to go there, doesn't need to, will eventually, but right now he doesn't have to. But it is the, it is the one thing, Ben, the liberals have pushed back on and said, hey, that party doesn't believe in climate change. Now, is that sloganeering? Yeah. Is that politicians playing politics? Of course it is. But won't it come well, to a certain point in time where you got to lay a plan out? It, possibly, but we are not there yet. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the, there is he is too far ahead in the polls. When Justin Trudeau was ahead in the polls, he didn't he didn't show Canadians all of his cards until days before the election. You play mm -hmm. keep away when you're this this far ahead. You do not give your opponents anything to to punch at. Let them punch yeah. at the air. Let them punch at the pro, at the boogeyman um, that that they suggest that you are. Don't give them a policy that they could either destroy or co opt. Instead, play keep away and, and, and talk about their record. That's that's standard politics, especially when you're this far ahead. We got Ben Mulroney, Roy Green with us. Roy Green on the air tomorrow nationally between two and five on the Chorus Radio Network, including right here on 640 Toronto. Um, and we've got Ben Mulroney on Toronto this weekend, uh, seven to ten tomorrow and Sunday. You're going to have a lot of fresh content because you're kind of the pregame and postgame show for the Ontario Liberal Party leader uh, announcement. Ben, um, look, the Liberals 
very poor election results in 18 and 22. They'll pick a new leader tomorrow. But we all looked at a poll from Abacus that has Doug Ford eight points ahead of Bonnie Crombie and miles ahead if somebody else ends up winning. I just I think we underestimate in Toronto just how popular the Ford government still is outside of Toronto. I don't see him in any trouble from any of these candidates anytime soon. And he doesn't need to be because the election's two and a half years away. How do you view it? I, I view it exactly the same way. I think I think one of the problems that the federal liberals have always had, and and for similar reasons, this the, the Ontario liberals have it, is that they they um they feel that when they lose an election, it's a timeout from the, uh, the, the 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 people have given them a timeout. They didn't lose the election. It was just it was time for somebody else to take the reins temporarily. In in Ottawa, it's because they view themselves as a naturally governing party. Here, it's because they underestimate Doug Ford. And Martin Reg Cohen wrote a very like a very telling piece last week on exactly this point, saying that uh, you know Doug Ford uh, won the election, but it wasn't exactly an exercise in, in in democracy because the other side picked such poor candidates. I think mm. Bonnie Crombie is going to win. I think by all account, I've met her a number of times. She's mm. a lovely woman. I think she's a, a charismatic leader. She's photogenic. She cares. Um, and and full disclosure, a number of my um, a num- a number of my colleagues at Aurora Strategy have helped her with her campaign. I have not. Uh, but I did want to put that out there. But no, listen, there's a lot of time between um, between now and the next election. We we see that the green belt really hasn't stuck to him. And if that wasn't going to stick even in the near term, like, let's let's be honest, this is a this is a, a retail politician likes of which we rarely see. And that and, and elections are won on the ground in Ontario going door to door. He's got he's got what it takes. He's got the experience. He's got the machine behind him. He's yeah. got the money behind him. He's He's got incumbency behind him. So um, it's not as easy as putting on a new coat of paint and saying, here's our new leader. Uh, you got to come with more than that if you're going to come after Doug Ford. Roy, you you, me and Ben are kind of all election freaks, so we get really into it. Even last night, I watched the, the, the result for the Green Party winning with 48% in Kitchener, the liberal candidate. And, and she was not an unknown. She ran and got 15% last summer. She got less than 8% last night. It's not like a liberal red wave is sweeping the province. You like it, They've got a ton of work to do, whoever the leader is. I think we're underselling that a little bit. Yeah, let me just throw a few um, unlabeled uh, spices into the goulash. Premier Ford's support numbers may not be bad, and they're not in the abacus polling, but how deep and committed is that support? I'm just throwing this out here. Less so, I think, than Mr. Ford would like. There's a degree of voter fatigue, which will probably creep in in the next two years. The RCMP criminal investigation of the Greenbelt fiasco could bite the PCs. I say could. I have friends who already Ford is too closely aligned with the Trudeau Liberals. Bonnie Crombie has real opportunity here if she's elected leader of the Liberal Party. However, she'll have to appeal directly to the people of the province because of the Liberals' non-presence in the legislature. The NDP, personally, I don't think they're going to be more than a spoiler presence. Mm -hmm. And the Greens, in a big party fight, they'll be roadkill on Election Day. And and Roy, I want to stay here (laughs) with you on this because we were were talking about the Conservatives. A Pierre Polyevra majority government, if that's how it works out. That's better for the Ontario Liberals than a Justin Trudeau government hanging on for dear life over the next couple of years. The sooner it happens, am am I right? The better it is for the Ontario Liberals because we seem to want that yin and yang in Ontario all the time, don't we? We don't tend to vote red, red, blue, blue very often. Well, uh, if the election, federal election is in 2025 Mm -hmm. and the provincial election is two and a half years away from now, just look at the alignment of those dates. I don't think, unless he makes huge mistakes, with a majority government, if he's elected prime minister, I don't think the Pierre Polyev 
uh, presence in, uh, in, in the prime minister's office will really affect the Ontario election as much as, as you just suggested, uh, Greg. Interesting. Ben, do you have a thought on that? If Because uh, I look and, and I, I see it go both ways. Your dad, when he was prime minister, saw Bob Ray get elected in the province. Um, and I'm not sure. Obviously, the fates weren't tied together. But by 1993, people had tired of, of the Mulroney government. And by 1995, people certainly in the province had tired of the Ray government. They almost canceled each other out in retrospect. Well, yeah, I, I, so I think I think the person who was most surprised about the Ray government was Bob Ray himself. Um, but um, <laughs> he still accepted I, I, the job. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he he did in fact accept the job. I listen. I think I think there's correlation, not necessarily mm. causation. I think that that those things are are, are important. But don't forget. I mean, like uh, the, um, mm. it it is true that, that a, a federal gov- a federal a mandate oftentimes runs through Ontario, but uh, but Ontario does not control whether or not. Um, Pierre Polyev forms a government. Uh, they, they have a hand in it, but they, they, they are not, they're not in charge of, of, of directing that ship. His, mm. his support comes from a lot, a lot of different places at this point. And, mm. and, and, and at some point, you can, I don't think you can deny mm. the numbers. You've got a, a strong leader um, who's, who just gave a, an incredible $9 billion deal to Toronto, which is just going <laughs> to it's gonna, it's gonna make a lot of progressives' heads explode in this city. They're not gonna know what to do with that. Um, and, yeah. and Pierre Polyev is it feels like he's got. Um, is, it, is it too early to say destiny on his side? It's uh, yeah. It, you're right. You're right from a, mm. um, a theoretical standpoint. Yes, we like this idea of balancing those two things out, but. When you got two strong leaders like this, um, stranger things have happened. Only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, Roy, a consumer confidence poll, um, and David Parkinson analyzed these numbers in the Globe and Mail uh, yesterday. But it's it's a pretty desperate time right now. A perfect storm of concern. High taxes, international growth, interest rates. Immigration is now something everybody's talking about. But I was shocked by this. The only time consumers have been more despondent in April 2020, the lowest point during the COVID-19 pandemic, when we're like, what has happened? When will life be normal again? And in June 82, and uh, Ben and I were little kids, and you were a teenager, in the depths of a six-quarter recession, what's everything? A six-quarter recession, unemployment 11%, five-year mortgage rates at nearly 20%. I think we've and one of the best things I hear on your show is when you take calls and you say, tell me about your life and your issues right now. And I hear real desperation in the voices that have the courage to call you. What do you see in consumer confidence around our country right now? People are angry, afraid, overtaxed, worried about immigration numbers and impact on social programs, on health care, on housing. No fancy words or promises are going to overcome those fears. My definition of inflation, whatever that word is, I was trying to say was when you go to the gas station and the grocery store on the same morning and you can't afford to fill up at either. That's the reality or the imminent concern for millions of Canadians from coast to coast. Let me just say this. An RBC report looking ahead to net zero contained one line I really singled out from all of the information and projection, and that was Canadians are going to have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's happening, and you're already seeing results, Mm. which will only become more severe and impacting given the economic realities in Canada and our federal government's refusal to engage in the production of and export of Canadian natural resources, which would result in many billions of annual incoming dollars to benefit the people of Canada and support our infrastructure. Ben, I got 40 tight seconds here, but we see the food bank numbers. We see the desperation. It's really hard, isn't it, consumer confidence right now? Listen, two days ago, I was at a dinner uh, celebrating Jean Chrétien by the Churchill Society. And at the end of his Q&A, he took a moment to tell people that life was great, 
that uh, the, the the numbers that the press are reporting are not real, and we should all just sit down, sit uh, to calm down and have a good life. If if the Liberal Party of Canada is listening to those words, may God help them in the next election, because that is not the reality that Canadians have been feeling for the past little while, and that mm. disconnect is going to drive mm. them out of office. You nailed it. Hey, I can't wait to listen to both your shows tomorrow. Thank you so much for contributing to ours today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Greg. Good to talk to you, man. Roy Green, 2 to 5 tomorrow, national uh, across the country, Chorus Radio Network, and Ben Mulrooney. You'll hear him on Toronto this weekend, 7 to 10, Saturday and Sunday.